Chapter Thirty Four of A Red Wallflower. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona. A Red Wallflower by Susan Warner. Chapter Thirty Four. Holidays. She did not see her new acquaintance again till they met at the supper table. She behaved herself then in an extremely well-bred way was dignified and reserved and quiet, hardly said anything, as with a nice recognition that her words were not wanted, scarce ever seemed to look at the new arrival, of whom, nevertheless, not a word nor a look escaped her, and was simply an elegant, quiet figure at the table, so lovely to look at that words from her seemed to be superfluous. Whether the stranger saw it, or whether he missed anything, there was no sign. He seemed to be provokingly and exclusively occupied with his father and mother. Hardly, she thought, giving to herself all the attention which is due from a gentleman to a lady. Yet he fulfilled his duties in that regard, albeit only as one does it to whom they are a matter of course. Betty listened attentively to everything that was said, while she was to all appearance indifferently busy with her supper. But the conversation ran, as it is wont to run at such times, when hearts long absent have found each other again, and fling trifles about, knowing that their stores of treasure must wait for a quieter time to be unpacked. They talked of weather and crops and Pitt's voyage, and the neighbors and the changes in the village, and the improvements about the place, not as if any of these things were much cared for. They were bubbles floating on their cups of joy. Questions asked and questions answered, as if in the pleasure of speaking to one another again the subject of their words did not matter, or as if the supreme content of the moment could spare a little benevolence even for these outside things. At last a question was asked which made Betty prick up her ears. This must have been due to something indefinable in the tone of the speakers, for the words were nothing. "'Have you heard anything of the Gainsboroughs?' "'No.' It was the elder Dallas who answered." What has become of them? I am not in condition to tell. Have you written to them? No, not since the last time, and that was a good while ago. Then you do not know how things are with them, of course. I do not see how you have let them drop out of knowledge so. They were not exactly people to lose sight of. Why not, when they went out of sight? You do not even know, sir, whether Colonel Gainsborough is still living? How should I? but he was as likely to live as any other man. He did not think so. For which very reason he would probably live longer than many other men. There is nothing like a hypochondriac for tough holding out. Well, I must search New York for them this time, until I find them. What possible occasion, Pitt, said his mother, with a tone of uneasiness which Betty noted. Duty, Mamma, and also pleasure. But duty is imperative. I do not see the duty. You tried to look them up the last time you were here, and failed. I shall not fail this time. If it depended on your will, remarked his father coolly, but I think the probability is that they have gone back to England, and are consequently no longer in New York. What are the grounds of that probability? When last I heard from the colonel, he was proposing the question of reconciliation with his family, and as I have heard no more from him since then, I think the likeliest thing is that he has made up his quarrel and gone home. I can easily determine that question by looking over the shipping lists. Perhaps not, said Mr. Dallas, rubbing his chin. 
If he has gone, I think it will have been under another name. The one he bore here was, I suspect, assumed. What for? demanded Pitt, somewhat sharply. Reasons of family pride, no doubt. That is enough to make men do foolisher things. It would be difficult to find a foolisher thing to do, replied his son. But then the conversation turned. It had given Miss Betty something to think of. She drew her own conclusions without asking anybody, and in some indefinite, inscrutable way it stimulated and confirmed her desire for the game Mrs. Dallas had begged her to play. Human hearts are certainly strange things. What were the Gainsboroughs to Miss Betty Frere? Nothing in the world, half an hour before. Now? Now there was a vague suspicion of an enemy somewhere, a scent of rivalry in the air an immediate rising of partisanship. Were these the people of whom Mrs. Dallas was afraid, against whom she craved help? She should have help. Was it not even a meritorious thing to withdraw a young man from untoward influences and keep him in the path marked out by his mother? Miss Frere scented a battle like Job's war-horse. In spirit, that is, outwardly, nothing could show less signs of war. She was equal to Pitt in her seeming careless apartness, the difference was that with her it was seeming, and with him reality. She lost not a word. She failed not to observe and regard every movement. She knew, without being seen to look, just what his play of feature in various expressions were. All the while she was calmly embroidering, or idly gazing out of the window, or skillfully playing chess with Mr. Dallas, whom she inevitably beat. Pitt, the while, his mother thought, and so thought the young lady herself, was provokingly careless of her attractions. He was going hither and thither, over the farm with his father, about the village, to see the changes and look up his old acquaintances. Often, too, busy in his room where he had been wont to spend so many hours in the old time. He was graver than he used to be, with the manner of a man and a thoughtful one. He showed not the least inclination to amuse himself with his mother's elegant visitor. Mrs. Dallas became as nearly fidgety as it was her nature to be. "'What do you think of my young friend?' she asked Pitt when he had been a day or two at home. "'The lady? She is a very satisfactory person, to the eye.' "'To the eye? It is only my eyes, you will remember, mother, that know anything about her.' "'That is your fault. Why do you let it be true?' "'Very naturally, I have had something else to think of.' "'But she is a guest in the house, and you really seem to forget it, Pitt. "'Can't you take her for a drive?' "'Where shall I take her?' "'Where? There is all the country to choose from. "'What a question! "'You never used to be at a loss, as I remember, in old times, "'when you went driving about with that little protégé of yours.' "'It was very imprudent of Mrs. Dallas, and she knew it immediately, "'and was beyond measure vexed with herself, but the subject was started.' "'Poor Esther,' said Pitt thoughtfully. "'Mama, I can't understand how you and my father should have lost sight of those people so.' "'They went out of our way. "'But you sometimes go to New York.' "'Passing through to Washington. "'I could not have time to search for people whose address I did not know. "'I cannot understand why you did not know it. "'They were not the sort of people to be left to themselves. "'A hypochondriac father, who thought he was dying.' and a young girl just growing up to need a kind mother's care, which she had not. I would give more than I can tell you to find her again. What could you possibly do for her, Pitt? 
you reading law and living in chambers in the temple in london and she a grown young woman by this time and living in new york no doubt her father is quite equal to taking care of her pitt made no reply his mother repeated her question what could you do for her she was looking at him keenly and did not at all like a faint smile which hovered for a second upon his lips that is a secondary question he said the primary is where is she i must go and find out your father thinks they have gone back to england it would just be lost labor pitt not if i found that was true what could you do for them if you could discover them mother that would depend on what condition they were in i made a promise once to colonel gainsborough to look after his daughter a very extraordinary promise for him to ask or for you to give seeing you were but a boy at the time somewhat extraordinary perhaps however that is nothing to the matter there was a little vexed pause and then mrs dallas said in the meanwhile instead of busying yourself with faraway claims which are no claims what do you think of paying a little attention to a guest in your own house pitt lifted his head and seemed to prick up his ears miss frere you wish me to take her to drive i am willing mamma insensible boy you ought to be very glad of the privilege i would rather take you mother the drive accordingly was proposed that very day did not however come off it was too hot miss frere said she was sitting in the broad veranda at the back of the house which looked out over the garden it was an orderly wilderness of cherry-trees and apple-trees and plum-trees raspberry vines and gooseberry bushes with marigolds and four o'clocks and love and a puzzle and hollyhocks and daisies and larkspur and a great many more sweet homely groves that nobody makes any account of nowadays sunlight just now lay glowing upon it and made the shade of the veranda doubly pleasant the veranda being further shaded by honeysuckle and trumpet creeper which breathed round the pillars and stretched up to the eaves and the scent of the honeysuckle was mingled with the smell of roses which came up from the garden in this sweet embowered place miss frere was sitting when she declared it was too hot to drive she was in an india garden chair and had her embroidery as usual in her hand she always had something in her hand pitt lingered languidly contemplating the picture she made it is hot he assented when it is hot i keep myself quiet she went on you seem to be of another mind i make no difference for the weather don't you what energy then you are always at work who said so i said so as an inference when the weather has been cool enough to allow me to take notice i have noticed that you were busy about something you tell me now that weather makes no difference life is too short to allow weather to cut it shorter said pitt throwing himself down on a mat i think i have observed that you too always have some work in hand whenever i have seen you my work amounts to nothing said the young lady at least you would say so i presume what is it miss betty displayed her roll of muslin on the free portion of which an elegant line of embroidery was slowly growing multiplying and reproducing its white buds and leaves and twining shoots pitt regarded it with an unenlightened eye i am as wise as i was before he said why look here said the young lady with a slight movement of her little foot calling her attention to the edge of her skirt where a somewhat similar line of embroidery was visible i am making a border for another gown pitt's eye went from the one embroidery to the other he said nothing 
"'You are not complimentary,' said Miss Frere. "'I am not yet sure that there is anything to compliment.' The young lady gave him a full view of her fine eyes for half a second, or perhaps it was only that they took a good look at him. "'Don't you see,' she said, "'that it is economy and thrift and all the household virtues? "'Not having the money to buy trimming, I am manufacturing it. "'And the gown must be trimmed?' unquestionably you would not like it so well if it were not that is possible the question remains what question whether life is not worth more than a bit of trimming life echoed the young lady a little scornfully an hour now and then is not life it is the stuff of which life is made what is life good for that is precisely the weightiest question that can occupy the mind of a philosopher are you a philosopher, Mr. Dallas? In so far as a philosopher means a lover of knowledge, a philosopher who has attained unto knowledge, I am not. That sort of knowledge. You have been studying it? I have been studying it for years. What life is good for? said the young lady, with again a lift of her eyes which expressed a little disdain and a little impatience. But she saw Pitt's face with a thoughtful earnestness upon it, he was not watching her eyes, as he ought to have been. Her somewhat petulant words, he answered simply. What question of more moment can there be? I am here, a human creature with such and such powers and capacities. I am here for so many years, not numerous. What is the best thing I can do with them and myself? Get all the good out of them you can. Certainly, but you observe that is no answer to my question of how. Good is pleasure, isn't it? is it i think so make pleasure lasting and perhaps i should agree with you but how can you do that you cannot do it that ever i heard it is not in the nature of things then what is the good of pleasure when it is over and you have given your life for it well if pleasure won't do take greatness then what sort of greatness pitt asked in the same tone it was the tone of one who had gone over the ground any sort will do, I suppose, said Miss Frere, with half a smile. The thing is, I believe, to be great, no matter how. I never had that ambition myself, but that is the idea, isn't it? What is it worth, supposing it gained? People seem to think it is worth a good deal, by the efforts they make and the things they undergo for it. Yes, said Pitt thoughtfully. They pay a great price, and they have their reward. And, I say... What is it worth? Why, Mr. Dallas, said the young lady, throwing up her head, it is worth a great deal, all it costs, to be noble, to be distinguished, to be great and remembered in the world. What is a worthy ambition, if that is not? That is a general opinion. But what is it worth, when all is done? Name any great man you think of as specially great. Napoleon Bonaparte, said the young lady immediately. Do not name him, said Pitt. He wore a brilliant crown, but he got it out of the dirt of low passions and cold-hearted selfishness. His name will be remembered, but as a splendid example of wickedness, name some other. Name one yourself, said Betty. I have succeeded so ill. Name them all, said Pitt. Take all the conquerors, from Ramses the Great down to our time. Take all the statesmen, from Moses and onward. Take appels at the head of a long list of wonderful painters, philosophers from Socrates to Francis Bacon, 
discoverers and inventors from the man who first made musical instruments in the lifetime of adam our forefather to watt and the steam engine take any or all of them we are very glad they lived and worked we are the better for remembering them but i ask you what are they the better for it this appeal which was evidently meant in deep earnest moved the mind of the young lady with so great astonishment that she looked at pitt as a lucis naturae but he was quite serious and simply matter-of-fact in his way of putting things he looked at her waiting for an answer but got none we speak of alexander and praise him to the skies him of macedon i mean what is that do you think to alexander now if it is nothing to him then what is the use of being great said miss frere in her bewilderment you are coming back to my question there ensued a pause during which the stitches of embroidery were taken slowly what do you intend to do with your life mr dallas since pleasure and fame are ruled out the young lady asked you see that decision waits on the previous question he answered but it has got to be decided said miss frere or you will be nothing yes i am aware of that there was again a pause miss frere pitt then began again did you ever see a person whose happiness rested on a lasting foundation the young lady looked at her companion anew as if he were to her a very odd character what do you mean she said i mean a person who was thoroughly happy not because of circumstances but in spite of them to begin with i never saw anybody that was thoroughly happy i do not believe in the experience i am obliged to believe in it i have known a person who seemed to be clean lifted up out of the mud and mire of troublesome circumstances and to have got up to a region of permanent clear air and sunshine i have been envying that person ever since may i ask was it a man or a woman neither it was a young girl it is easy to be happy at that age not for her she had been very unhappy and got over it yes but not by virtue of her youth or childishness as you suppose she was one of those natures that are born with a great capacity for suffering and she had begun to find it out early and it was from the depths of unhappiness that she came out into clear and peaceful sunshine with nothing to help her either in her external surroundings couldn't you follow her steps and attain her experience asked miss frere mockingly pitt rose up from the mat where he had been lying laughed and shook himself as you will not go to drive he said i believe i will go alone but he went on horseback and rode hard End of chapter 34, recording by Nancy Cochran Gergen, Gilbert, Arizona.